With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And joining me to break down some breaking Vikings news and then look at the rookie class's performance or lack thereof for the Vikings this uh, preseason is Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus. What's up, Anthony? How are you? I'm doing all right. How you doing, man? Thank you for having me back on. It's been a minute. Yeah, no, it has. Uh, I think we may have talked right after the draft and trying to uh, project where some of the rookies would go in their first year. And the answer is not very far. But uh, let's first talk about the Vikings signing Everson Griffin. And I think this ties in to your forte, which is college football. Uh, The Vikings have, in recent years, tried to recreate Daniil Hunter by drafting lanky, guys who didn't sack anyone in college. And this is sort of the cause in my mind of why Everson Griffin has to be re-signed because the DJ Wanams of the world, the Jalen Holmeses, I, I think that they believed that they could look for the next Daniil Hunter, but I think that someone like Adafi Owe is actually the next Daniil Hunter and the league already figured out like, yeah, you should draft that guy when he is a legitimate freak. So get, give me your thought on like how they've approached drafting in the, on the defensive line recently um, as a cause for what's happened here with Everson Griffin. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with that statement. I mean, looking at their history, I mean, they, they definitely could have gone in different directions, better directions, especially with this past uh, draft class. I mean, there's definitely some pros with it, um, but there were some opportunities early on where they could have possibly attacked somewhere along the defensive line. And, you know, as far as uh, resigning Everson Griffin, I mean, that's they really don't have the choice. They put themselves in the position because depth is a very big problem. I mean, we've seen it over the, the last couple of preseason weeks, too. Um, you know, you have some of these reserves in there and they're just they're not really making much of a dent against some of these lesser offensive lines. Um, and so I think it is a pretty big problem for them for this upcoming season. Um, but at the end of the day, you still want to be able to cover more than anything. Um, but, you know, I think that's still right, rightfully a concern for this upcoming season, even though they did bring in Patrick Peterson. He's no longer the Patrick Peterson of, you know, what he was in fast. He, he can't really effectively play single coverage. Um, you know, what he was in his prime, Um, you know, I think he will be a little bit better than what they had last year. But at the end of the day, I still think that's a little bit more of a concern. Um, But that's not to say that not having an impactful pass rush at the NFL level, at least, um, you know, can be a huge asset to the defense because it certainly can. Um, And they they have, like you said, they put themselves in a bad position. Now, on on the matter of the pass rush, uh, Everson Griffin last year was, I think, 28th in pass rush win rate by PFF, which is okay, and it's not where you would expect Everson Griffin to be in his prime, but DJ Wanham was 101st, and Stephen Weatherly was 109th out of, I think, 120 pass rushers who are at least rotational players, and so I look at this as if there's anything left to put him in the top 
25 or 30 defensive ends in the NFL. It is a huge upgrade. Now, how quickly he can be a huge upgrade after not practicing with the team at all and just signing late, I'm not sure. I know that Everson Griffin keeps himself in good shape, um, but it's still hard to ramp up this quickly. Uh, but from that perspective, now you look at the defensive line, you've got um, Daniil Hunter coming back from his neck injury, but he's looked quite good in practice to us. The two beefy guys in the middle to stuff the run and then Sheldon Richardson rotating in and Everson Griffin, if, if he's even the same version he was last year and he gets six sacks and 30 or 40 pressures, that's still pretty good for you. I, I think this solidifies the defensive line as being Good. I, I don't know that it says they're one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, like we would say about the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, or maybe Cleveland. But uh, how would you view that in terms of what this says about their whole defensive line now? Oh, yeah. I mean, no doubt there's a high ceiling with that group. But the only problem is that there's a lot of ifs involved. You know, if Everson Griffin can come back into Neil Hunter. But, you know, I, I think as long as everybody stays healthy and they can reclaim that old form, then yeah, this, this is a heck of a unit. I, I have no doubt in my mind about that. But you know, can they stay, get back to what they, what they once were, um, you know, can they stay healthy throughout the whole season? That's, those are the big questions there. So there are ifs and balls, but I agree with you. I, I think there is a high ceiling to the point where, you know, you know, we talk about like the value of coverage versus pass rush. And I think they have the ceiling where you don't have to be too concerned with the pass rush unit. I think, like you said, it would be a good quality unit. Um, but again, there's just, there's a lot of ifs involved there. No, there definitely is. And they want Michael Pierce to be a little more of a pass rusher and whether he can actually do that. I'm not sure they're moving Delvin Tomlinson positions. Does Sheldon Richardson have some of the older Sheldon Richardson still in the tank? I mean, he's quite good for Cleveland, but the whole league kind of went, ah, I'm not so sure. Um, we have a lot of respect for Sheldon here after he, he performed very well in 2018, but it's amazing how sometimes a guy could just get to a certain age and then they're just not who they used to be. And you mentioned Patrick Peterson, that can happen. And the same concern would be for Everson Griffin, where everyone knows Griffin is a guy who was borderline ring of honor level player here um, and pro bowler a bunch of times in a row, but there's always that age thing that's lurking in the background. Yeah. Well, I mean, 100%. And that's why I think, you know, yeah, I think there are bigger question marks with that secondary, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier than the pass rush unit. But, you know, I, I at the end of the day, I like the move. I think it needed to be done. Um, and like I said, that kind of forced it on themselves. But I think it was a good move. I think it will, at least for the early part of the season, I think you'll see the benefits of it. Um, I think with the pass rush unit, you know, like you said, bring back to Neil Hunter, I think you're going to see a much improved unit from what it was last year, which was really just a complete non-factor. Um, and so at least for the early part, when everybody's healthy and good to go, I think that we'll see that. But, you know, again, can that sustain over the whole season? I mean, only time will tell. Yeah, I agree on it being a good move because they've already made all these one year deal moves to revamp this defense as quick as they possibly could. Like, why not add on one more? And I had thought throughout the offseason that they were going to get someone like Melvin Ingram anyway. Um, and it just seemed that they wouldn't go with only Steven Weatherly and DJ Wanham. And then once you see them in practice, you see Daniil Hunter on one side, Weatherly and Wanham on the other, and you go, I, I don't think that this can be a thing because teams are going to focus all of their uh, extra blockers and chips and everything else on Daniil Hunter. And now I think at least Everson Griffin comes along with that name recognition that uh, teams will want to pay attention to him as well. But I have to ask you, as, as a younger person that you are, uh, Everson Griffin tweeted 
uh, some things about Kirk Cousins that were not exactly complimentary. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he did. Uh, and um, I, I guess I wonder how you view this because I've said on the show after they've tried him out how I saw it, but I don't I don't want to like color your opinion on this. So just give me your opinion on the fact that the Vikings are bringing back a player who said very um, insulting things about the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting situation. And, you know, I can't speak too much on it because I don't know at the end of the day what goes on behind closed doors, um, you know, with some of these guys personally. Um, but, you know, I, I would assume the team would have at least went to, you know, approach Kirk or they would have at least hashed some things out. Otherwise, I, I mean, I think that could potentially be a problem. Um, but, you know, from this whole situation, I'm assuming some gesture was made that it, it, everything's in the clear. They're all good. They're buddy-buddy now. Um, but it, that's a, that's something to monitor. There's no doubt, no doubt about that because it, it, that can be a problem for, you know, the, the locker room culture and really in any work environment, whether it's, you know, football or any other business. So it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. So that's what you would think that they would go to Kirk and say, Hey, are you okay with this or whatever? But I knowing sort of knowing how the dynamic has worked in preseason here and, and training camp, I don't think that they did. I think that Mike Zimmer said, I don't care what he thinks. <laughs> that, that's good. That's my guess. We're going to hear from Zimmer after you and I record this, but um, I'll, I'll be interested to see what he says about that because I don't think Zimmer cares about Kirk's feelings. And uh, Kirk has to be aware at this point that he's just not the franchise quarterback. Like he plays for the team and he's the guy they need to play well, but uh, he's not the franchise guy. And I think this sort of signifies that. So um, I just wanted to get your opinion as someone who might be young enough to have a TikTok or know how it works like that social media well, interaction. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of a shot right there. And, and uh, TikTok's great. Um, but I think that's a little, that's probably about 10 years before me. That's dominating that generation. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just making fun of you because uh, although I, I really can't um, with the fact that this right here that I have right now is the most beard that I can do, but uh, you make me look like, a mountain man with your fresh face. Um, so anyway, I'm sure I'm not the only one to pick on Yeah. Yes, I'm not the only one to pick on you about this. Um, but uh, because you do brilliant college work, um, I, I want to ask you about your opinion on how some of these Vikings rookies have come in, and then maybe we could talk about a few of the others. Uh, Christian Darisaw injured right away, has not been able to get on the field uh, for this year. I don't know how much of a concern it is because I didn't expect Christian Derrissaw to come in right away and be a dominant player, but give me your opinion on how far he's set back here. And if, if that's not a huge deal because you didn't expect him to step in right away anyway, or if it is a big problem for Christian Derrissaw. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that big of an issue as far as projecting, you know, his NFL career as a whole. Um, I mean, obviously the situation is a little bit worse than, I think a lot of people expecting, um, but at the end of the day, my opinion on the player hasn't changed. I mean, it's kind of a similar boat, like uh, Minnesota's division rival Chicago's in with Tevin Jenkins. I think they're both in, you know, uh, obviously both teams wish they could have the players early, sooner rather than later and they could be partaking in these drills. But um, you know, as far as projecting him out as of right now, I don't think it's too bit too, too much of a concern, but you know, here in a year, if we're still in the same position, then that's when I would probably start to get a little worried there. Um, but I, I don't think it was a bad pick by any means. Looking back in hindsight, I still think they're in a good situation with him. Um, but, you know, again, you know, like any player or team position, you'd like to have him sooner rather than later. But I still think right now, and knowing what we know, I think he'll be all right. Uh, just with tackles and offensive linemen, why do you think it is 
that they do take so long usually. I mean, we didn't see that from Tristan Wirfs um, or really Jedrick Wills had a pretty good um, first season. Mekhi Becton showed some things his first year. So last year, uh, but the guy, one of the guys who was drafted at the top, Andrew Thomas, was one of the worst tackles in the NFL right away. And this was always my concern with taking the risk of throwing Darisaw in. It actually might be better that – he saved them. His groin saved them from themselves, possibly. Um, not that I think that Rashad Hill's going to be great, but giving him some more time to adjust to the NFL and practice throughout the season and then being ready after he's seen like what preparing for a game is like, what preparing for pass rushers is like, and that sort of thing. Um, I think it might be they might end up turning out better for them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one way to look at it. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, too, with some of these tackles going from college to pro, and we're seeing it right now with Penny Sewell, who he hasn't played since, I think it was January 1st of 2020. Um, he's very rusty right now for the Detroit Lions. Um, but, it, you know, I think speed is the biggest thing. I mean, it is so much – some of these guys are so much quicker, um, you know, in college football. Even someone playing at a Power 5 school, you're going up, up against guys that are just – you know, cakewalk for you guys, um, you know, non-NFL players. And then you go to the NFL and you're going up a guy against guys like Joey Bosa. I mean, Rashawn Slater, he said, hey, you know, first thing, that was the biggest thing that was tough on him was the speed of, you know, going up against Bosa in practice. Uh, I mean, some of these guys are just freak athletes. Um, and really across the board when you are at the NFL level. So I think that's the biggest adjustment there. Um, you know, you got to be, you got to be, a, you know, a very heady player. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of these tackles have to get used to. Um, but, you know, it, it's definitely an interesting question. I don't think there's, you know, a 100% right answer to it. Um, but I, I would say the biggest thing is definitely the speed factor. Yeah, I saw Panay Sewell get smoked by Melvin Ingram. It's like, well, uh, also, now give me your opinion on this too. Um, they're moving Panay Sewell to right tackle. Uh, the Vikings moved Ezra Cleveland from tackle into guard. Now Ole Udo, who was a guy that was a complete project that they drafted in the sixth round, uh, in 2019, they're moving him from tackle inside to guard. Uh, what is your feeling on moving guys around from what they did in college? Yeah, I, I do think that part of it is more just kind of the mental aspect of it, doing something a little bit different. But I don't think, you know, what we've seen historically, it, I don't think it's that big of a, a thing a lot of people do make it out to be. I think the biggest thing with someone like, like Pene Sewell I think it's more about the fact he hasn't played in, you know, a year and a half, two years. Um, and I do think also that the move does have to do a little bit with that. But having that going against some of those inexperienced guys, too, I think that explains a big part of it. So in the Vikings case, too, I don't think, you know, moving some of these guys around, um, I, I don't think it's, um, you know, as impactful. Um, you know, some guys are better in some aspects, um, you know, at other positions along the line, given their, you know, physical traits and skill sets and so forth. Um but I think, you know, it's not as I think that thing is a little, you know, overblown, really, you know, across the board. But, you know, that, that could be different for some guys that have been doing it for, you know, 15 years or so getting asked to change positions. But, um, you know, I, I think it is a little overblown when looking at the performance of a player as a whole. And really, I think the biggest part of it would probably be the mental aspect of it. Yeah, I, offensive linemen tend to talk about how much it means. And I think maybe because they didn't like it <laughs> when they were asked to move around in their careers. Um, the Ezra Cleveland thing has always been kind of funky that they immediately saw him as a guard and didn't give him any chance to tackle and then were forced to draft Christian Derrissaw with a 
first round pick because they never even saw Ezra Cleveland at guard. And this team does not have uh, the history to get the benefit of the doubt with offensive linemen. Let me put it that way. But now let me, um, go back to the Darisaw pick. Cause you said you think it's still a good pick. Of course, no one would call the guy a bust because he had a groin injury in his first training camp, or at least they shouldn't. But are there regrets? Do you think based on Mac Jones looking halfway decent, some of the pass rushers that were drafted after uh, Christian Darisaw looking pretty exciting. And, and now as we bring in Everson Griffin, as we see Kellen Mond struggling, I know this is early, but if we never talked about things, early with football, we would just sit here and look at each other. So um, should they have any draft regrets though, putting Darisaw as a good prospect aside? Um, You know, I, I don't think so. So thinking out back at the time, I, I really did like the move they make, you know, going back from 14 to 23 and still getting Christian Darisaw, who we thought he, he was a top 15 prospect. Um, and obviously the injury kind of weighing on that stock just a little bit there. But I do think if there's one regret, it's passing on Mac Jones. And and, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before, and I know I've been pounding the table with, you know, everybody I talked to from the get-go. I always thought Mac Jones was a great player. I thought he should have gone in the top 10. Um, you know, and I'm not going to do a victory lap on him right now because he's still got to play meaningful football games and not so much preseason football. But, I mean, he's looking good. He's the same player that we saw at Alabama, you know, you know, avoiding negatively graded throws, uh, you know, taking very good care of the football, doing exactly what the offense and the structure wants him to do. Um, and I think that would probably be the biggest one. Um, in hindsight, looking at that that edge class, I mean, there was it was one of the most interesting edge groups that I I can recall seeing over the last few years, just because it was just so much just raw potential and less proven factors in there. So I don't think you know I don't think that would be so much of a regret, but I do think you know Chris, Christian Darisol over Mac Jones, I think that would probably be the the, the biggest one. Um, but in hindsight, I think there would probably be a little bit more regrets. Um, but at the time, I think that's probably the only one that stands out. Well, the Mac Jones thing on draft night, I said that my opinion was going to be entirely shaped by when Mac Jones was picked, the fact that they didn't take him and the, the Patriots coming in and picking him right after to me said the NFL views Mac Jones as a top quarterback prospect. And sometimes the guy who's drafted third out of five in the first round becomes the best. And sometimes it's the guy who's first. And sometimes it's the guy who's fifth. It's clear that the NFL can identify the first rounders, but not clear that they could pick out exactly whether it's, you know, Lamar Jackson or Sam Darnold is going to be better. So there's no guarantee that Trey Lance will be better than Mac Jones, just because one was picked a little higher than the other in the first round. But my biggest thing was this guy put up massive, crazy, insane numbers with the weapons that he had. But it, it wasn't like, oh, well, he was good with weapons. It was like, no, 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 like all-time good numbers from this quarterback at the premier quarter or football school in the universe is like, I mean, I think that actually the Kirk Cousins comparison, which was not really fair to Mac Jones because he's a better athlete, I think it hurt him and in some teams' minds and even the Vikings' mind where they said, no, we want a guy who's mobile because that's where the league is going. But then I see Mac Jones and I watched his game the other night and he's getting rid of the ball in two and a half seconds. And, and so it's like you have to do one of the other. Uh, you have to either be mobile if you hold on to the ball or you have to get rid of it quickly like Tom Brady does. And I was really impressed at how quickly he was getting to his read and releasing the ball. I thought that looked, that's actually the most NFL that any of these first round quarterbacks have looked. 
1,000%. I mean, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, the guy's a quick processor. He's a smart player. He has everything besides just the physical tools that everybody loves to watch. I mean, we, I mean it was um, – and I think kind of that first game that Trey Lance played explains a lot of that because that was the most – biggest thing I saw on Twitter was that throw he had, that 80-yard touchdown. Everybody was losing their mind over it. But at the end of the day, he still did not really play that good of a game outside of that throw. That was only the really big, notable highlight from that game, and he had multiple turnover-worthy plays that didn't end up going in the defense's hands like they should have. Um, and, and so I think that's where kind of the obsession over the tools, and I think it's a little – I mean, uh, tools are important. They definitely are important, but I do think that aspect is a little overblown, especially if the quarterback doesn't have some of these you know, other traits, like a guy like Mac Jones who's just pr- pristinely accurate, can put the ball – right where it needs to be every single time. I think that's a very underrated aspect of the position still, um, you know, because it's very hard to see someone do something like, you know, Josh Allen did. Yeah, I mean, that is a very much an anomaly situation. So, you know, I, I think it's just kind of the NFL, like you're saying, just falling in love with these mobile quarterbacks that can do some of these beautiful things that a, not an, an average human can do, um, you know, as opposed to someone looking like Mac Jones, no offense to Mac Jones, but, you know, he, he's not some of these, you know, fit and athletic type of players. Um, you know, he definitely is still in the NFL, but at the end of the day, he's he, he's not like some of these other quarterbacks where the NFL is transitioning to, but I still think he's going to be a fantastic player. And honestly, you know, right now, and I, I've said this before, and I, I'll say it again, I, I think if we had to compare Mac Jones to Trey Lance right now, I personally would rather have Mac Jones. Hey, everybody, the season is on the way. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, T-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate. Check it all out at sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Everything is screen printed here in Minnesota, and I can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now Soda Stick at this point. Again, that's sodastick.com, Minnesota sports-inspired goods, and keep your eye out for our Soda Stick giveaways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hmm, that's interesting. And that was the whole debate leading up to the draft was, would you actually take Mac Jones that high? And it's amazing how quickly we get some information about these guys when you see them in training camp, when you see them in preseason. But like you said, we don't really know until they're in actual games. But it's it was funny that, you know, Mac Jones, even the picture with his shirt off might have hurt his case a little, even though his pro day was good. I think uh, relative athletic scores had his like a 70th percentile 
quarterback performance, which Kirk Cousins was like 45th percentile um, of all quarterbacks at the combine. So that's that. I mean, that's pretty good. It's not Trey Lance or Justin Fields, but it's amazing how him looking like me with his shirt off uh, may have sort of shaped some people's opinions. But we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Do you think that Justin Fields and Trey Lance should start right away based on what you've seen? You know, I I always thought that Trey Lance, no, I, I, I thought he needs some time. He's still such a raw player, and I think he needs to learn, uh, you know, more aspects. He needs to, you know, finally tune his decision-making specifically. Um, you know, I think the accuracy, I think it's a real issue, and I think it always will be a real issue. So that's not something he can really work on over the next year, but I think he can become, you know, a, a better uh, decision-maker. And I think that's why I was a little hesitant to say, you know, when San Francisco first picked him, that he needs to start right away. And so I, I think probably starting Jimmy G, that's the way to go. Now, Justin Fields, my opinion's kind of changed on this over the last few weeks because, you know, when they first drafted him, I thought, well, I mean, I, I would put him over Andy Dalton week one. I don't see why not. But now after looking at the state of the offensive line and, you know, quarterbacks do control their own pressure rate. Um, Justin Fields, he's we knew from the get-go, he was always going to be a quarterback that's going to invite in a lot of pressure. He, he is doing a lot of that damage himself, but he can make his, you know, do some incredible things on the run to make up for it. Um, but the current state of this offensive line, you know, I, he does still see a lot of quick pressure. I mean, he was on over, he, I think he leads all quarterbacks, actually, if not top three um, in percent of the dropbacks under pressure. And, you know, Grady has a starting unit for all of his dropbacks, but he has, you know, this past game, he did have the tackles, what they have right now, um, you know, and it, it's a really dire situation right there. And I think that, that those two tackles um, with no Tevin Jenkins, I mean, you're looking at either Elijah Wilkinson, Lachavius Simmons, um, Jason Peters, who fantastic NFL tackle, but and he's pushing 40 years old. Um, and that's a big concern there. And then also Larry Borum, the rookie, and he struggled mightily um, this past week. And, the, you know, Wilkinson and Simmons, who did play, they struggled as well. So I think it would probably be best to kind of ease them in a little bit um, and see what happens. You know, I don't, I don't think it would be, you know, too egregious to throw either one of those two guys out there. Um, you know, I wouldn't come out and say it's the wrong thing to do. But I don't think it would be the wrong thing either to let him sit a little bit, um, you know, it, two different situations as to why. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it would be that big of a deal if they did that. I think it would probably be I would lean a little bit more that way uh, in the case of Justin Fields. Now, I know that um, not every team does everything right when it comes to decisions. We wouldn't have jobs if they did. But um you know, in terms of second guessing, maybe the easiest second guess in the NFL is the Chicago Bears not doing more for their offensive line. Like, did you really think that drafting a guy with what the 39th overall pick was just going to snap your fingers and fix your offensive line? It's you're drafting a rookie quarterback. You're putting so much into it and you don't even take the approach of, hey, let's bring in four free agents and have them fight out for a job or something like that. They're just throwing guys up there and saying yeah go ahead and and the Packers have a great defensive line and pass rush the Vikings now have a great defensive line and pass rush uh the Lions have at least like one guy who can rush the passer I mean like they are they put Justin Fields in my opinion in such a bad position here because all rookie quarterbacks are a little bit slower than the veterans when it comes to this decision making Fields specifically is. And now you're saying be Russell Wilson from a few years ago when he would just take the snap and run away immediately. And like, I don't think that that's fair at all to Justin Fields. And, and if I'm projecting, like, I think Vegas is seven and a half for the bears. Like, I, I don't know with that offensive line. And if they play either Dalton or um, Fields, I'm not sure how you get over that with this uh, 
unless you have a, a miraculous defensive performance. Yeah, definitely. And too, I mean, we always talk about, you know, the offensive line and how just how valuable these players are. And I don't think any team needs in a truly elite offensive line. I think it, it, base case, you always serve, you just want to be average. But right now the Chicago offensive line is far from average. And I agree some of the decisions, um, you know, getting rid of Charles Little Jr. and uh, Bobby Massey, you know, they may not be the cream of the crop at the position, but they were average tackles and average tackles. I mean, I think they would be in a much better position, but you know, they, they went different ways, you know, made some other decisions financially. Um, also, too, on the defensive side of the ball, parting ways with Kyle Fuller. I mean, some of those can all go in there. Um, so it's definitely an interesting situation. I think they did put them in a little bit in a bad spot. And I do think they took a little bit of a risk with Tevin Jenkins, of course. You know, I, we here at PFF consensus-wise, and I did as well as in the camp, that I thought Tevin Jenkins was a first-round tackle. But the, the injuries pushed him down. There was some, you know, uncertainty there and some risk. Um, involved in, you know, Chicago's like the swing of a bat. And, you know, right now it's going to put him back in the short term. Um, and so while I did like the Tevin Jenkins pick and I thought if he was healthy, he was going to, you know, exceed expectations. And I think he will when he comes back. But right now, um, you know, the way that this current state of the offensive line, you know, you know, going back to, you know, I thought signing Jason Peters, he's, like I said, fantastic NFL tackle, but it was a little bit of a des desperation move at this point in time in his NFL career. Um, and, you know, so hopefully he can still kind of be an effective player. We'll see. Only time will tell. But, yeah, it, they definitely put him in a bad spot early on. That's for sure. Yep. And uh, I think if you're the Vikings, you're very pleased about that. And that's where that's where I can actually see the Andy Dalton thing if they decided to go with him, because Dalton historically gets the ball out very quickly and he's going to need to get the ball out very quickly with their offensive line. So Vikings fans can rest assured that they're not the only team that consistently messes up decisions on the offensive line. Um, I, I want to ask you your opinion on Kellen Mond's slow start to his training camp preseason. Now, I mean, people will say that someone is fine no matter what happens in the NFL. I mean, it's like, it, it's, the, it's the dog meme. Like the, it, the house is on fire and it's like, this is fine. And that's, that's what I get. I'm getting some messages about Kellen Mond with that of like, oh, look, it's no big deal and so forth. But his PFF grade is 45 through his two games. He's completing 42% of his passes. Um, there hasn't been really a, more than one play that's looked competent from Kellen Mond so far in his two preseason appearances. Now, if he had been great in practice, I would say, hey, look, not a huge deal. But he's been quarterback three behind Jake Browning the entire time for this preseason. Um, when we talk about developmental quarterbacks, like, does that is that a thing anymore? Because it feels like it's not. It feels like back in the day, you used to be like, oh, this guy was the backup for the Packers, and all of a sudden he's running the greatest show on turf. It's Kurt Warner. Like that, I just don't don't see that anymore. It's kind of like the NFL decides pretty quick. Okay, well, you can't play on to the next guy. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I do. It was one of those statements he said at the end. There wasn't really any one play from Kellen Mond, you know, that really wowed. And that was really the story of his entire college career at Texas A&M. He just really did not have those highlight reel plays. Um, he he can't effectively, you know, create what we call those big time throws downfield that you know, can be really game-changing moments. And he's a well-experienced quarterback. There's no doubt about that. But I would agree the NFL shifted to, away to the point and got better at identifying this type of talent and what, you know, uh, tools and traits they have to kind of get there. And with Kellen Mond, we just never really saw that, you know, at his entire time at Texas A&M. So, you know, he does, like, like I said, have the experience. Um, you know, he wasn't elite in Jimbo Fisher's uh, offense, but he was a good quarterback. And what is a difficult offense to master? But at the end of the day, there just wasn't those highlight real plays like you were mentioning at Texas A&M consistently. 
um, one of the lower big time throw rates in college football, still doesn't have one in the NFL preseason so far. Um, and that was our big concern. It's kind of verifying that so far. So, you know, I, we, I was um, a little bit on the, I, I'm not sure if I would have gone this direction, um, taking Kellen Mon where they did, um, even though it wasn't, you know, anything crazy like in the first round, but you know, I, I'm not too surprised to kind of hear and see what's going on, but hopefully he can prove me wrong. Okay, you're wearing uh, looks like an Ohio State hoodie. So let me ask you about Wyatt Davis not competing for the right guard spot. Uh, did you expect more of Wyatt Davis? No, I, and I'm not an Ohio State fan. I just got a bunch of college college gear. But no, I was I was excited to talk about Wyatt Davis since, uh, since I'm sporting it today. Um, but no, I wasn't expecting too much from Wyatt Davis early on, just because you know I I was pretty concerned. You know, if if someone could guarantee me that he was going to be fully healthy for this upcoming season. Um, then I would have been okay with that. But he has had a little bit of a knee issue um, really historically, and I was pretty concerned about that. So I think that was kind of, you know, I think where they were picking, you know, Wyatt Davis, I thought it was a good selection because mm-hmm. when healthy, I think he's a, yeah, he definitely a top probably 40 prospect, if not first rounder, fully healthy. Um, but, you know, I wasn't expecting too much, you know, I, I, I think maybe down the road, but we'll see how much of a concern um, the, the health factor is. They care a lot about their guards being able to get to the second level and hit the linebackers. And even watching him a little bit in minicamp is like, doesn't really look as quick as some of the guys that they have had there in the past, which you've kind of got to decide. Like Mike Zimmer said that he wanted uh, bigger, more pass blocking offensive linemen in the middle because they've had such problems with that. But that goes along with some give and take for your running game. And I just, I just don't think that Wyatt Davis was really the perfect fit for what they want to do in their running game. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, looking back, it wasn't only just the, the injury, uh, the knee injury where he kind of struggled a little bit in 2020, but he did have a lot of mental mistakes. Um, And and so when you include that in there, I thought, you know, he probably wasn't going to have a lot of success early on, you know, it's definitely needed to go to a situation where he wasn't going to be thrusted into a prominent role, expected to really anchor an offensive line. So, you know, I, I'm not too surprised, Um, you know, hopefully, you know, he can kind of build on this, but, you know, he definitely was just more of a, sometimes just overpowered a lot of people. And that was a brunt of his, his success early on um, prior to 2020. So, I mean, you saw some of that, you know, on blitzes and stunts, the, those were really a lot of his mistakes came um, at Ohio state. So, you know, we'll see how he kind of develops there over the next few years. Yeah. And it might be a thing where he does develop and takes over the job, or it might be a thing where somebody else stepped in and you never see the field. I mean, that's just kind of why some draft picks work out and some picks don't. Okay. Last thing for you. I want you to tell me in the first round, which team right now is saying, Oh my God, we got such a great draft pick. We can't believe it. And which team is saying, what did we do? What did we do? What did we do? I think the the latter, I think, is definitely Carolina, um, you know, and I think they love J.C. Horn. I know they love J.C. Horn, but I, I think, you know, kind of probably seeing what Sam Darnold is like in camp and also looking at Justin Fields, too. You know, he's definitely had his mistakes so far a couple of games in, but or even Mac Jones <laughs> for the for that matter, after, you know, coaching him at the Senior Bowl, Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers staff and then watching him what he's doing so far in New England again. We still need a lot, a lot more of games course. to be played yes. to make a final decision. But I think Carolina's probably the team that might be in hindsight thinking, hey, I, I'm not so sure this was the um, the right decision. Um, you know, as far as, you know, we got such a great deal. I'm sure probably Bill Belichick's not giving off any emotions. But again, with Mac Jones, I'm sure he's probably <laughs> sitting there in his head thinking, I think we're going to be okay. 
Um, and also, too, I think uh, New York Jets, there was definitely some debate there. You know, was Zach Wilson the second overall pick? But I think they're probably pretty comfortable mm-hmm. that they, they made the right decision right from right from the get-go. So the quarterbacks really definitely come to mind um, as, as those types of players. Um, you know, as far, as far as some others, I think Denver is kind of a tweener team, um, you know, as far as passing up on those quarterbacks. But they still got a heck of a one with Patrick Sertain. So, mm-hmm. you know, with Vic Vangio, the defensive mastermind he is, he's going to love having that in there. So. I think they're going to try and do their best to convince Broncos fans that it was the right pick. I should have gone quarterback, but you know, I think they're kind of in between there where, you know, there's some people probably think they should have gone another direction, but they're still got, still got a great player instead. After I watched drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater in practice for two days against the Vikings, I don't think they made the right decision. I mean, Sertan <laughs> is great and he really stands out. He's one where if they weren't wearing Jersey numbers and names, you'd be like, that's the first round pick. Sometimes you can't tell, but that guy you can. Uh, but what does it mean if, you know, your quarterback ends up with a, you know, 92 quarterback rating or something and ranks 27th by PFF, which I think if they start either one of those guys, they're not going to be much higher than like the 20th best quarterback in the league. Can't really win the Super Bowl that way. Um, so, okay. Last thing, Anthony, I have to make fun of you a little bit um, for an internet faux pas that you had, because I thought, I thought it was funny because of how old we all are. Like everyone who was making fun of you, look, we're old. Like you wrote that uh, Tyreek Hill is the best deep threat ever. And of course, Vikings fans lost it and other media people made fun of you because Randy Moss is the greatest deep threat ever. But also, look, man, like I was, I think, 12 in 1998. You didn't exist yet in 1998. So like my thing was like, everybody give Anthony a break, okay? Like there's deep threats from the 60s that maybe were as good as Randy Moss. I just don't know them. Um, so the same thing happens. I'm not saying you didn't know who Randy Moss was, but I thought it was funny that you had this happen and the internet freaked out on you. It's like, I, here's what it is, Anthony. It's a sign of your success as a great PFF analyst that if you said something, people got really mad about it. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. I, that's on me for, you know, I could have better explain what I was trying to say. I mean, so far, you know, what Tyree Kill has done in his NFL career He's putting up insane numbers as far as the PFF era goes that we've ever seen, you know, through those first five years of an NFL career, um, you know, deep numbers wise. It's truly incredible. I mean, we don't have, unfortunately, Randy Moss's data set, you know, from that early on. So I, I always thought, you know, he has the potential to eventually get to that point where he's on that type of close to that type of tier. Um, and then I, I mixed up my words and then next thing you know, I'm, I, I didn't mean to declare him. Um, but, you know, it was definitely an interesting situation, but I was happy to bring, you know, all the the old folk together and reminisce, you know, about the type of impact Randy had back in the day, because, you know, I, I watched a lot of those old football games and, you know, I, I loved him as a player. There's no doubt about that. One of my favorite players, he, he helped me fall in love with the game when I was younger. So, you know, he's definitely a, one of the best players in NFL history. I'm uh, not taking anything away from that, but no, it was, it was fun to see everybody come together um, for one big and just have agreement because it was something that was widely agreed upon. The PFF graphics will come to get everyone eventually. Just put it that way. Uh, Eric Eager ranked Kirk the eighth best quarterback in the league, I think. And it was over, maybe over Lamar. And so everyone lost it about that. I said on Ian Harditz's podcast that Jefferson reminds me of Julio Jones. And so the Falcons fans were very upset about that. It is the sign of the internet that uh, a little a little graphic can, you know, become a big thing. But I I thought it was funny. I have a great deal of respect for 
your work. I think you do phenomenal work at PFF and you're one of their rising stars. So I'm glad that we can get together. I always uh, enjoy our conversations and um, I'm glad you got to go back, check out a few more Randy highlights just to make sure that he was better indeed than, uh, than Tyree kill. But thanks for your time, man. Make sure you follow Anthony at, uh, uh, PFF underscore Anthony. You, I always have to check, like, are you one of those underscore people? Yes, you are. So at PFF underscore Anthony. Thanks for your time again, man. Really great to get together with you. Of course. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words as always. We'll have to do it again again soon.